As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and on today's show, we're talking all about the NWSL. We're going to recap the Challenge Cup. We're going to talk about teams and players and and some strategy stuff. And we're going to talk about the early stages of the regular season as well. Joining me to do all of that is my wonderful guest, Ariana Cascone. Ariana writes about the NWSL for Backheel.com, a new website covering American soccer. Ariana, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. Good, good. I am super excited to have you on today. I'm, I've been really enjoying getting to work with you and read some of the stuff you put out at Backhield, and I'm really excited for us to have the chance here on TSS to talk about some NWSL stuff. So let's let's dive right into that. We're a couple of weekends into the regular season. The Challenge Cup has already come and gone, and that's where I want to start. It just finished up over the weekend with the North Carolina Courage beating the Washington Spirit 2-1 in the final in North Carolina. You were there, Ariana. That's that's where you live. You went to that game. You watched it. What was it like being there in person for the final, and what did you make of the game? Yeah, I, I had a ton of fun at the game. I'm really glad that I was able to get down to carry. Um, it was a great atmosphere, honestly. I was a little shocked that North Carolina pulled off getting a little over 3,000 people in the stadium on less than three days' notice. I know that the uh, you know the coaches and, and they were on social media really trying to give tickets away, basically. So it seemed like they pulled off what they were going for. I thought that the game was was great. I mean, I think the Courage and the Spirit really put on a great show. I thought those were the teams that, granted, the way that Washington maybe got to the final was uh, a little controversial. I think, uh, you know, regardless, they were able to put on a really good showing. I do feel like much of the reporting has been focused on maybe, you know, the last 20 minutes or so of the game. but yeah. But, you know, up until that point, it was just really fun soccer to watch. It was. It was a good game. And you and I messaged a little bit about it during the game. Caroline, especially from North Carolina, causing some problems. And Dabinia absolutely dusting U.S. Women's National Team <laughs> defender Kelly O'Hara on, on the right side for the spirit and the left side for the courage. It was a fun game. And, of, of course, a really unfortunate injury to Jordan Baggett in the latter stages of that game that was just handled really poorly by NWSL and, and the folks 
there when the medical staff and all of all of those things. But she was able to to talk to some of those staff members as she was stretchered off the field. So that certainly is a positive. Ariana, one thing you've already written about for backfield this season that I've I've had the chance to read is North Carolina Courage's early success, and that that success comes in spite of, or or maybe in some weird way as a result of, I don't know, of of all their roster turnover. So Jessica, McDon- Jessica McDonald is gone. Sam Mewis is gone. Lynn Williams is gone. Others are gone as well. How have the Courage been so successful already this season, getting yet another trophy for this club after trading some of their biggest stars? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, and uh, I have my doubts going into the season, I won't lie. But I think... You know, I was doubting this team a lot because of the fact that these big names are no longer on the roster. But the reality is that the uh, the team was really returning players that accounted for somewhere near 70% of their 2021 minutes played. So that was actually good for third in the league, uh, only behind Washington, so the defending champs, and then Gotham. And I think they were, they're able to, to continue to be successful because they are returning a lot of their a lot of leadership on the team. So their entire starting back line is back for the season. And of course it's anchored by, you know, Captain Abby Urseg. And then in their off season, well, yes, you know, they lose of three players who are undoubtedly uh, important, who were undoubtedly important to the club's success. They're adding a lot of players that um, only make the team better. So, yeah. you know, they add Jalen Daniels and, and Kiki Pickett and then picking up Caroline, of course, from Brazil and, uh, Brianna Pinto from Gotham, and then their draft picks have been, you know, integrating into the Courage system really well. So I think that's maybe why they're able to find success early. Um, and in terms of a player like Sam Mewis, of course, I think she's irreplaceable. She's one of my favorite players on the national team, but she really only played a handful of games last yeah. season for the Courage. So their midfield was operating without her already. So they had most of last season to figure that out. And I think it was really trying to fill the holes in their attack uh, this season. That makes that makes a lot of sense with some of those really smart moves. And, and Caroline, again, to mention her name for, for the second time, was phenomenal in that game and had showed some real signs throughout the Challenge Cup to finally get that first NWSL goal, I think, was a big moment for her. And you can already see some of the the talent that's growing and, and some of the, the relationship, I should say, that's growing between Dabinha and Caroline, two Brazilians and, and two really quality attacking players. Ariana, on the on the spirit side of this final, if we flip the script a little bit, there's a ton of talent in this team with players like Ashley Hatch and Ashley Sanchez and Trinity Rodman. Do you have, though, any concerns about them after this loss, again, 2-1 on Saturday, or are they going to be a contender just like they were last year, of course, winning, uh, winning the big trophy <laughs> at the end of the year? Yeah, to be honest, I don't have concerns about the Spirits personnel, per se. I think they are a really great team, and they showed that throughout the tournament. I mean, you know, they did start off a little bit slow. They're tying Orlando in the beginning of the Challenge Cup, and then they sort of, they're letting up more goals in the first half of games than um, they do in, you know, later stages of games. But I think what might be tough for the Spirit going forward is, is whether or not they can stay healthy uh, on one thing to think about. So, you know, they're playing... Between now and I think June, you know, the first couple weeks in June, they're playing something like nine games. We've heard a lot about player fatigue throughout the Challenge Cup, and and the Spirit's going to sort of have a grueling next five-ish weeks to really, you know, stay healthy and and see what their lineup's going to look like, who's, av- who's available, who's not. Um, and if we think later in the season, I think part of the Spirit's success may also hinge on the decisions of, you know, Vladko Andonovsky and the rest of the United States Women's National Team coaching staff because for the friendlies earlier this year, you know, a lot of the Spirits starting 11 
were called in. And so players like Aubrey Kingsbury and Kelly O'Hara, Ashley Sanchez, Andy Sullivan, and then Hatch and Rodman have been called into camps this year. And of course, Emily Sonnet, his, you know, a national team mainstay. Um, so without those players, I think the spirit will look and be forced to play really differently. So not so much whether or not they're full team. I don't have concerns about their full team, but I have concerns when I'm thinking about the context of this season. It's a it's a difficult thing to have so many players who are clearly so good and who are involved in the national team picture. It's a good thing in some senses in that it builds a reputation for your club. And of course, those players have a ton of skill, but it also does hurt you in certain senses. The U.S. Women's National Team has some friendlies coming up in June, and then they have even more important games later on in the summer. And, and you're totally right. They're going to be missing players for large stretches. Are there are there any teams in the, in the NWSL, Ariana, who you think can withstand losing a handful of players to the national team? I guess what I'm asking is, what does the depth look like on an average NWSL roster, or, or even with the Spirit, who I imagine have more depth than most? I mean, in terms of depth... I'm really thinking about teams like Portland Thorns. Um, of course, a lot of their uh, roster, like Becky Sauerbruns, Sophia Smith, um, you know, Christine Sinclair is Canadian, but there are international players. But I think Portland's, the depth of their roster might, you know, be able to pull them through later on in the season, especially when key players are out. So I, I've got a couple other Challenge Cup questions for you. Zooming out a bit from the final, looking at the tournament as a whole, did you have any other takeaways from the Challenge Cup? We talked about we talked about North Carolina. We talked about Washington, of course. Are there any other teams or players or things that surprised you, stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I think the Challenge Cup was a good way for teams to gel early on in the season. You know, there's nothing really like game reps. And so especially if we think about expansion teams like Angel City or San Diego, right, they really benefit from getting these game reps in during, during the Challenge Cup. Um, and, you know, we saw Angel City open their season – beating the team that actually went on to win the whole thing. Um, of course, they later fell to Orlando, but that, I guess that's a different story. <laughs> and then San Diego <laughs> securing back-to-back wins to kick off the regular season. Uh, I don't know if that happens without getting those Challenge Cup you know, games under their belt. That actually brings me to my last Challenge Cup question, which is about the timing of the Challenge Cup. So obviously it is a preseason tournament in its timing. There's there's real trophy and, and stakes attached to it. There's benefit to winning. And so teams are coming out here, at least most of them, to, to try and win this thing. But the timing of it is strange to me. So the Challenge Cup overlaps with the start of the regular season. So the NWSL regular season started after the end of the Challenge Cup group stage, but the, the semifinals and the final for the Challenge Cup hadn't yet been played. So you had Challenge Cup games, and you had the start of the regular season, and then you had more Challenge Cup games during the start of the regular season. And, and North Carolina and Washington didn't play last weekend in the regular season because, of course, they had that final to play. Mm-hmm. From, a, from a, a coverage standpoint and from a broader fan standpoint, too, I would imagine at least it feels like the overlap takes attention away from both events instead of magnifying both events. Do you feel that same way? That's that, I guess that's how I feel about this. Do you agree with that general sentiment? Yeah, I do. I really do have the same feeling. I think it would have been really great if, you know, the Challenge Cup, if they wanted to make it a preseason tournament, then, then that's what it was. You know, no overlap between the Challenge Cup and the start of the regular season. I think it's... It's layered because the challenge, the, the championship title has this big price tag on it. Uh, and if we think about, you know, salaries in the NWSL and the fact that $10,000 is the prize, right, that's really life changing. And so that inherently adds importance to this tournament. But then we hear players and coaches and, you know, media sessions say things like, oh, well, it's just a preseason tournament. 
And I think that maybe that cognitive dissonance is compounded by the fact that the regular season kicks off during it or kicked off during it rather. So, you know, one way to combat that is to, like I said, make them two distinct events. Um, I know that there, so Meg Linehan on full time on her podcast had Alex Morgan, Rachel Daly and Lynn Williams on it in the, in November. And they had a really interesting conversation in which, you know, the players suggested doing this tournament when there are major international tournaments that are set to kick off. So I think that's another kind of fun way potentially to limit this, this, this idea that overlapping takes the attention away from both. Because then if, you know, those national teamers are out on national team duty, then players who are maybe not in the starting lineup all the time get, get time to shine. And then players that are integral to the, the typical starting 11 are not missing loads of games of the regular season. Huh. So that's, that's an interesting one. I hadn't heard that suggestion before. So just to be clear, it would be, say, during the, the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying slash Olympic qualifying tournament, which is taking place later this summer. During that tournament, the NWSL would maybe pause the regular season, and instead of having games running during that time, regular season games, they would have Challenge Cup games. Is that is that the suggestion? Right. I, so that's that's what the players were sort of getting at, and also the Euros are happening this summer. So of sure. course, Rachel Daly plays for England, and um, you know, I think this was an idea that I'm not sure if the players you know brought this to NWSL leadership. I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but you know, this it, it seems like it could be a viable option. Instead of having, you know, all this overlap and then worrying about number of games played and, you know, seven days and and having to switch home openers, you know, there were some teams that had to switch. They were notified, I don't know, at midnight on, you know, Wednesday and their home opener is supposed to be on Saturday. So that's that's pretty tough. Yeah. And, and maybe I'm oversimplifying things here, but adding another potential solution to the scheduling conflict that I think we both feel and I'm guessing folks out there do, too. Is it not as simple as just starting the Challenge Cup two weeks earlier, right? So that you can finish it, if it was to stay as a before-the-season tournament, as a preseason tournament. Couldn't you just extend the, the the beginning of the season a little bit? Because, let's not forget, there's only 12 teams in the NWSL. The regular season isn't particularly long. It's not a long season on the whole. Extending that by a couple of weeks and giving more opportunity for national TV broadcasts and giving players more exposure that only feels like a good thing to me. Am I am I off on that? No, I think that's a really great point. I don't understand really why the Challenge Cup could not have started <laughs> okay. earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, in the same vein, the regular season this year ends earlier than it did last year. So if this were going to be a problem, maybe the regular season could have kicked off a little bit later. And then, you know, we'd have the, cha- the championship, I think, is slated to be at the end of October this year. Last year, I think they played November 20th or something like that. So, you know, it, there seems to be a lot of options that fans and, and you know, others are coming up with that maybe I, I'm, it's just unclear to me why it had to be this way. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, we're workshopping ideas. Maybe, maybe we'll see something different for next season. Either way, I still really enjoyed getting a, a chance to watch these, team play before the regular, these teams play before the regular season kicked off. And I do agree that it was a really helpful tool for those expansion teams. I think that's an excellent point. Hey, it's Joe Lowry here, cutting in to let you know that we have some great sponsors today. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's tie a nice little bow on the Challenge Cup. We'll leave it there for now. And let's, let's dive into some regular season stuff. And before we get into maybe what you've seen from teams and, and players in the regular season so far, I want to zoom out a bit and separate the league's 12 teams, as we mentioned earlier, 12 teams in the NWSL, into some different tiers. Mostly for me, I think this will be helpful for me, and and it'll help me contextualize expectations for different teams and and the things surrounding them. But I also think it'll be helpful for listeners, at least I hope so. So Ariana, I, I want to put you to work here. I'd like you to divide up the teams in the NWSL into three tiers. And I I gave you a heads up about this, so I hope you're ready. Tier one is the real contenders. Pretty straightforward. Tier two is the potential mid-table teams who could maybe make a push for some sort of trophy. And then tier three are are teams that you don't have super high expectations for in 2022 for whatever reason. So let's, let's start with that first tier. Who's in that group for you? Okay, so I thought that this is a really fun exercise here. So, (laughs) so the, 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 I'll just say teams. I'm not sure that I have really an order within these tiers. That's fine. That's but, fine. Um, so for my real contenders, I'm thinking the OL Reign, Portland Thorns, and Washington Spirit. And and so now I want the explainers behind those three. So you said OL Reign, OL Reign excuse me, Portland and Washington. Why those three teams? Yes. So I think for OL Reign, I you know of course we we know that um, that. Those the loans from France, those players from France are, you know, their loans ended. And so they did have they did shake up their roster a bit. But there's really no denying that Laura Harvey's talented and, and, you know, putting together the best players on that roster. And we saw that last season when she really turned the ship around for the OL ring. Um, they're also returning veterans and, you know, they're the 2021 NWSL MVP, Jess, Jess uh, Fishlock. And then also players like Megan Rapino and Lou Barnes really. Um, I, you know, being the leadership of this team. And then they have Canadian midfielder Quinn and Sophia Huerta and then Alana Cook and Bethany Paulser, Rose Lavelle, right? Like these are all yeah. names that people in the women's soccer space know. And and these are all very talented players. Um, one thing that I questioned going into this season, I think my only question was really about their starting goalkeeper. Um, but I don't think that, you know, their roster or their coaching staff were concerned because Valentola's jo- Joyce was there all along. And she's clearly had that other con- under control. I I think that she was named to the best 11 in that goalkeeper spot uh, for the Challenge Cup. So, you know, I, I think people were maybe, or I at least was questioning who would play in that position because I hadn't really, she hadn't been on my radar. Um, but, you know, especially after the Challenge Cup, I don't have any worries there. <laughs> Okay, so that's that's the all rain. One one other quick question on them before we move on to Portland to Washington. Rose Lavelle, of course, as you mentioned, is a part of this team. She's an interesting one for me because we are seeing a new generation of attacking players really come up and, and make Vlatko's life harder. And we'll talk more about that later. Mm-hmm. Rose Lavelle is someone who I think can almost bridge that gap. She's not, you know, she's she's not in her thirties. She's twenty six right now. She has a lot of years 
left in her prime, and she's an excellent player in that midfield group. What sort of role is Rose Lavelle being asked to play, and maybe what have you seen from her so far this season between the Challenge Cup and, and the regular season as well? Yeah, so Rose Lavelle, she was playing, I think, more out on the wing, uh, and everyone was very concerned about this, like, oh, what is Laura Harvey doing? And then it turned out that there was a method behind the madness, because Rose Lavelle looked great at the Challenge Cup. Um, so I think, I wonder if, you know, with these personnel shifts with the rain and getting used to having those, you know, the players whose loans ended, um, that there will be some, you know, shifts in responsibility. Like Rose is a good example, I think. You know, she's able to, it seems like at least she's able to step into the role wherever her team needs her. And I think that's true on the OL rain and then also, you know, on the national team. That's a great Rose Lavelle update. Let's talk about the Portland Thorns. You mentioned their depth earlier. You also mentioned some of the top end talent. I'm assuming those are, if not the top two reasons, two of the top two reasons behind why this team's in your top tier. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, it's just hard to be bad when you have one of the best center backs in the world <laughs> yeah, anchoring your defense. And then, you know, on the other side of the pitch, you have the most prolific goal scorer of all time, right, across men and women in Christine Sinclair. So, um, you know, I think people potentially might be worried about Portland, knowing that Angela Salem is retired and Lindsay Horan, right, isn't with the team. And then um, Crystal Dunn is on parental leave. But many of their defenders uh, and their starting forwards are back in Portland this season. And I think they did a good job in the offseason trying to fill those, you know, Lindsey Horan, Angela Salem size holes in their midfield. And, you know, of course they have this new head coach, but it's really like Portlandita. I've heard that before. Like, you know, Portland <laughs> being new Canada. I did not coin that. Um, Love that. Always a fan of Portmanteaus. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. So I, you know, I think that these pe- the new people that they're integrating into the club, they're familiar with one another. And, um, you know, we saw Portland be successful in the Challenge Cup too, which was, I was excited about that because I, I didn't really think they were going to be bad, but, you know, it's there was some changes that happened. So With that portmanteau, I think Portland might be my official NWSL team. I'll, I'll have to give that some more thought. Uh, <laughs> Ariana, let me ask you about the spirit. So we, we've already talked about them plenty, but any any other particular reasons that maybe we haven't mentioned yet as to why they're in this top tier beyond the obvious stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think something that's really, you know, that I'm thinking about is that Chris Ward's going to be at the helm for the whole season this year. So, and and of course, fingers crossed, the, the spirit won't be faced with so much off-the-field adversity. And so I think with those two things, you know, those are, are great. And the spirits they're they'll continue to win, um, you know, under this, the, the loss that the spirit had against the courage, that was the first time that, you know, Chris Ward had lost as the head coach of the Washington spirit. So I don't think that there's, you know, I don't imagine that the spirit will be bad at all this season. Yeah. What was it? What was it? The, the specific number of games, do you remember, or, or the timeline since it was last August of 2021? Yeah. Is that right? So it was last August and they were 20 games uh, unbeaten, wow. but really they, the two losses that came in that time were those COVID forfeits. Mm. Um, so they ended up, it's kind of interesting to think about where Washington might've ended up in the table had they not, you know, essentially given away six points. And then, you know, they, those were posted as three, nothing losses. Sure. Um, and they were against the OL Reign and Portland, which were two and one in the league, respectively. Oof. So, you know, Oof. I think. It's <laughs> quite the streak, Washington. That's quite the streak. Okay. Um, that's the top tier the All Rain, Portland Thorns, and the Washington Spirit. Let's talk about that middle tier, the, the teams that might be able to push for something this season, but aren't necessarily favorites. Who's in that group for yes. you, Ariana? Okay. So, this is, I would say, my biggest tier here. So, I have okay. the North Carolina Courage the Kansas City Current, uh, Racing Louisville, Chicago Red Stars, and then Gotham FC. 
So that's five teams if I did my math, my very basic elementary school math right there. <laughs> North Carolina, Kansas City, Louisville, Chicago, and Gotham. Why those teams? Obviously, North Carolina, we've already discussed, already have a title. What about a team like Kansas City who really struggled last season? Yeah, so Kansas City was, I mean, I, there's no other way to put this, I think. They were just really bad last season. Um, <laughs> they won three games last year, and they I think the first time they won was pretty late in the season. So, you know, they did, the end of their season was more entertaining. They were playing spoiler for teams trying to make it to the to the playoffs. And, um, you know, I, I promoted them to that mid-tier spot because of their off-season moves. So I often think about the Kansas City current as, you know, Kansas City courage because of this idea that they have so much of, of North Carolina's like original dynasty on their roster. Mm. Um, so, you know, they acquire Sam Mewis and Lynn Williams, but they also have Kristen Hamilton and Haley Mace, which joined their roster, you know, mid mid last season. So that reunion was something I was really excited for. Granted, we haven't really seen it and we will not for a while, given Lynn Williams season ending injury. Um, but once Mewis makes it back to the pitch, I think, you know, this Kansas City team will really be one to reckon with. And what uh, what, are, what are we waiting on for Sam Mewis right now that's keeping her off the field? Yeah, so, I mean, I, she hasn't really told too many details. Okay. So she, I know that, you know, she had that procedure that was uh, last season and that, you know, she that kept her off. And then she was on limited minutes during the Challenge Cup and she was on her Snacks podcast and mentioned that... Uh, you know, it's just been really tough. I think maybe she's had some setbacks. Um, so she's still, you know, the knee has given her some problems and hopefully we'll see her sooner rather than later. But it doesn't seem like there's a, a firm timeline there. So that's Kansas City. Obviously, we wish the best for Sam Mewis. Let's talk Louisville, who uh, racing Louisville, of course, added Jessica McDonald. There's a number of other really talented pieces here. Tell me more about their. Tell me more about why they're in this second tier. Yeah, so I put them in this second tier because... You know, I, they still have Emily Fox, who's been great on the national team. Um, and I think, you know, she's becoming a leader on this Louisville team. And, of course, acquiring Jess McDonald from the Courage is uh, only going to make them better. And then they they drafted Jalen Howell uh, for in, you know, in 2021 for the NWSL draft, who is just lights out at Florida State. And so I think that she's really going to help them in the midfield, playing in that defensive midfield role. It seems like... You know, she's taken some time to adjust, but I think as the season goes on, she's only going to uh, be better. So, you know, I, I, I have high hopes for that. I can't believe, sorry, I interrupted you there. I can't believe that Jalen Howell is just now in the NWSL. It feels like she's been in the uh, the American soccer conversation for so long now, of course, being at Florida State and breaking into the national team during her time in college. She really is uh, a very nice central midfield player, so I'm excited to see more of her this season. We've talked Louisville. Now let's let's get to the Red Stars. Chicago Red Stars, why are they in this second tier? So I put them in the middle tier because... You know, their offseason movement and then this idea that they really relied on own goals last season to push them through um, prevented me from putting them in the top spot. You know, they they have a history of success in that club. Um, but they're also they also were nearly three weeks into their preseason when they finally found their head coach, which I think was another like ding for me. They're going to be without their leading goal scorer from last season. So Kaylee Watt had a, an ACL injury, which she sustained in the playoffs last season. She's still not back. And then they traded away, you know, 2021 Iron Woman, who anchored their defense last season, Sarah Gordon. Um, and she was a mainstay while Tierna Davidson was out with the national team. And then Tierna Davidson ended up tearing her ACL, unfortunately. So she's going to be out. So I think um, I put them in the middle tier 
when I was coming into the Challenge Cup and into the season, but I don't want to put Chicago in the bottom tier, but maybe they should be, you know, toward the end of my middle tier here. <laughs> so so why I want to go back to you mentioned the, the the coach hiring process taking so long. Of course, Chris Petruccelli is now the, the Red Stars head coach after Rory Dames is, of course, no longer a part of this team. Why did that process take so long to get someone new for that job? That's a great question. I'm not sure, you know, that I have uh, an answer. Sure. I I would love to believe that it's because the Chicago Red Stars organization really wanted to find the best person for the job. Um, and maybe that just took some time. I think ultimately it might have, uh, you know, shot themselves in the foot a little bit. Three weeks into preseason is a long time to not have a head coach, especially, you know, with all these changes that happened and uh, in their offseason and, and, you know, changing personnel. It's just not ideal to not have your head coach there to, to, you know, lead the team through preseason. Um, I know that players were involved in making that head coaching decision. So like I said, maybe it's just that it took a long time to, to find the perfect person, but who knows? So that's, that's the Chicago red stars in tier two, the last team that you've got in that tier Gotham. Why are they here? Ariana? Oh boy. Well, I think I regret putting them in this tier. (laughs) (laughs) Why? I anticipated that they were going to be upper middle tier. So, you know, at the beginning, before the challenge cup, I, this was before I knew that Allie Long would be out on parental leave. And of course, congratulations to her. So happy to hear about, you know, her pregnancy with twins. Um, But before I knew that I was really excited because I think Allie Long was critical to Gotham's success last season. And then they added Christy Mewis, who I'm a big fan of. So I thought, okay, things in the midfield are going to be great. And they're returning, you know, a lot. They're returning essentially their entire back line. And um, the only question mark I had was with Kaylin Sheridan, uh, their starting goalkeeper. So, you know, they acquire Ashlyn Harris and Michelle Betos. And well, I think it would be unfair and frankly untrue to say that the players are interchangeable <laughs> with Sheridan. I really thought Gotham would still pull through. Um, because of all those positives that I mentioned. But now that Ali Long's out on parental leave, we're mm. noticing that I think she really was just a cog in that midfield that made things happen. Um, and Gotham quite hasn't figured out how to play without her, I think. So Gotham, are, are they have one win and one loss. Pretty extreme in, in both results. They have a three-no win over Orlando and then a four-no loss to San Diego. And we'll talk more about both of those teams. <laughs> I'm guessing right now, Ariana, we're in that last tier, the lowest tier, the teams that you don't have particularly high expectations for, for different reasons. I assume at this point we've got Orlando in there. We have the two expansion teams. I'm looking at the table right now. Who else am I missing? Houston, right? Uh, That's Houston. the fourth one? Okay. Yes, it is. So, so walk me through. Let's start there with Houston. Why are they down in tier three? So Houston missed the playoffs by a point last year, um, which, you know, doesn't seem so bad. But I think that the Dash have had, you know, they've been pretty disappointing other than the 2020 challenge cup or 2020 challenge cup you know they won that and and that was a lot of fun they just haven't really been able to put it together and then they lost christy mewis who i think is who was important to you know the way that they play and a lot of their build-up went through her in the midfield so i thought that losing her you know in addition to to me just generally having low expectations for the houston dash losing christy mewis really put them in this in this bottom tier for me so we're talking, generally speaking, about a lack of talent rest, uh, relative to the a lot of the other teams in this league. Is that fair? So that's the thing. On paper, I don't think that Houston lacks talent. I think, that, you know, they have a lot of individually great players, you know, players like Rachel Daly, Maria Sanchez, uh, Nichelle Prince, Shea Groom. Those players, you know, 
it just seems like they haven't been able to put together a cohesive product. Their head coach now is gone. So maybe, you know, it had something to do with that. But maybe if a new head coach comes in and is able to, you know, turn the ship around, sort of like Laura Harvey version of the dash, that could, you know, pull them out of this tier, at least put them toward the top. (laughs) Sure. I'm not sure. Okay, so that's the Houston Dash. Let's talk about the Orlando Pride. They have uh, obviously had some difficult results to start this season between the Challenge Cup and uh, the NWSL regular season, although they did get a win this past week over or uh, over Angel City. Excuse me. Why are they in this bottom tier, Ariana? Yeah, similar to, to my feelings about Houston. I mean, I think Orlando's never really been great. And so they were an expansion side, and I think that they're still figuring it out. <laughs> So they did start off really strong last season, and then they ended up tanking. They finished last season on something like a five-game losing streak. Um, they also brought in a new head coach who has never coached professionally. So that's Amanda Cromwell, right? She was, you know, NCAA D1. And I think for that reason, I put them in this in this bottom tier. Um, you know, I think Amanda Cromwell, obviously she's beginning to become adjusted to the NWSL at least, but there's got to be some kind of lear- learning curve from you know, the college to the pro game. It's just different personnel and understanding how the play is different too, not just the fact that you're dealing with college students versus adults. Before Ariana finishes off those last couple of tiers, it's time to hear from today's sponsors. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. That leaves us here after going through those 10 teams with the the two expansion teams. We didn't plan this to happen. I didn't know this was going to happen, but <laughs> you have both the San Diego Wave and Angel City in this bottom tier. You don't have super high expectations for them. Let's dig a little deeper into both of those two teams. I wanted to do that anyway, and this is a perfect time to dive in. Let's start with Angel City. And maybe the storyline, even unfortunate for the courage, this season has been Angel City selling out Bank of California Stadium for their first ever game where they ended up beating the North Carolina Courage, as you mentioned, the team that won the Challenge Cup. That was a huge moment. It looked great on TV. You could actually watch the game on TV. It was a really impressive spectacle this team, though, in terms of their roster build and, and some of the on-field elements, Ariana, I gather you're not as convinced about. Right. So I put, you know, I put both of these teams in the bottom tier because historically expansion teams in the NWSL have had a hard time. Yeah. Um, and so I just really didn't know what to expect. I wasn't expecting them to be great or to be exceptionally bad. You know, I just tried to play it safe for myself, really, and say, OK, I don't have any expectations. We'll see what happens. That's that's completely fair. So what have you seen then from Angel City in terms of the on-field results? They're one and one. They have one win and, and one loss, I guess I should say, in the in the regular season so far. Again, that impressive win on opening day for them. What are you seeing from Freya Kum? Tactically, what, how are they trying to play? How did they approach roster build? What do we know about this team so far? So we know that that this team, unfortunately, faced a lot of injuries during their preseason, which I think probably... 
I mean, it's definitely a thorn in their side and it, it, you know, it's difficult to face those injuries after you sort of have an idea of what you want your team to look like. And then all of a sudden, you know, Sarah Gordon and Paige Nielsen, two players that were supposed to hold down their, their back line are injured and they're out. So it becomes a question of, okay, who do we have that will fill those roles? Um, so it seemed like during the challenge cup, at least angel city was testing out maybe a four, two, three, one formation, but most of the time they played in a four, three, three, um, and in that back line, they're slotting in, you know, a player like Jasmine Spencer, who really played on the wing last year for Houston and is now playing in their back line, I think probably because they lack depth in their roster. Um, and I think we saw this lack of depth with Freya Coombs' reluctance to sub in the Challenge Cup. So, uh, you know, I took a look and, and most of the time she's making one or two changes. There was the game in which Savannah McCaskill got red carded. I think she made, you know, more changes to try to uh, mitigate the loss of, of a player on the pitch. But I wonder if, if because of this lack of depth, we don't really see that rotation in the Angel City lineup. So that's a look at Angel City and some of their early season moves and, and how they've built this squad and how they're playing. Let's flip it and talk about the other California expansion team, the San Diego Wave. Casey Stoney, of course, in charge of that team on the field. What are they looking like so far this year? They're in this bottom tier, but they have started well with two wins in the regular season so far. They're on top of the table with six points, and they've got Alex Morgan banging in some goals. Yeah, I think San Diego is really benefiting from having someone like Casey Stoney, um, you know, lead their team. She has experience in building teams from the ground. So she did that, you know, in England with Manchester United. And I think a, a narrative around Stoney being an NWSL head coach is that she's really, you know, defense is her thing. So she has made notes and in interviews with saying that defensive organization in the NWSL is lacking. Um, and that's something that she really wants to implement in her, her own team. I think that's because, you know, her idea is that if defensive organization is good, then that's really the foundation that they can build their attack from. You know, having center backs, her backline is anchored by someone like Abby Dahlkemper, who was who is really a mainstay in that United States women's national team defense. That was their very first signing. Um, and then they have, you know, Naomi Gurma, who was number one in the draft. Uh, next to her. So I think that they rely on those two players, switch play, drop big balls in behind, and even drive play into their midfield. I want to zoom out a little bit again from these two expansion teams. You've talked about sort of what they're trying to do on the field, but I want to go back to something you said before that about expansion teams struggling in, in NWSL. And that's certainly been true of Orlando in the past. It's certainly been true of Louisville. It was true of them last season. And then, obviously, there's not a ton of clarity on exactly what we should be expecting from these two teams this year. Neither roster, and I know Angel City in, in particular has dealt with some unfortunate injuries, as have a number of other teams in the NWSL. But neither one of these teams look like barn burners. They don't look like they're, they're really gunning for a trophy. And you backed that up with putting them in this last tier. Why do you think it is that NWSL expansion teams maybe struggle a little bit early on? Similar things have been true in MLS, to, to bring in a, a domestic comparison, but we've also had some, some MLS teams that jump out of the gates pretty quickly. I'm thinking of LAFC, thinking of Atlanta United. Is, it, is, is something different about NWSL expansion that makes that process more challenging? I, you know, I like this question. I, I think the NWSL is really touted as this league with so much parity. Um, so, you know, on any given game day, the first place team can be beaten by the last place team. And I wonder if that sort of has to do with it, with this idea that expansion teams really struggle with that, because we sort of saw that with Angel City, right? Like they, um, they struggled throughout the Challenge Cup and then they end up beating Portland Thorns in their final game of the Challenge Cup. 
you know, of course, we have to mention that Portland's roster and head coach were out for COVID, well, five players on their roster and their head coach were out for COVID protocols, right? But then they, in the regular season, they open up by beating the North Carolina Courage. So, you know, this team with potentially low expectations, expansion team is not really supposed to win, right? Supposed in quotes, beat a team that has, you know, won seven trophies. <laughs> uh, so I think it has to do with this idea that, you know, there's a lot of parity in this league. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think we do see similar things with other leagues in the United States. So I I think there is a common theme there. So thank you for walking us through these tiers. That's helpful for me. And I think it's helpful for folks as they're watching the NWSL regular season, and maybe as they factor in some of the things that they've seen and observed, looking around the league so far and looking at the regular season, you can tie Challenge Cup into this as well. Have Results generally followed those tiers. North Carolina maybe punching a little bit above their weight. Maybe some of the expansion teams as well. San Diego is the only team in the regular season who's still undefeated. What other things and trends or teams that are doing things that maybe you didn't expect have you noticed so far? Yeah, I mean, I would put Kansas City in that category too because the reason I thought they were going to be great is, you know, having players like Mewis and Williams back in their lineup and they just haven't had those players in there. So their rookies have really stepped up and, and made this team exciting. And, and so I will say that, you know, that was surprising because the reason I put them in this tier didn't really pan out. I think one of the most interesting storylines in American soccer right now, all of American soccer is this next generation of women's national team attackers, the, the U.S. women's national team, that are ready to make Vlako Endonovsky's life really, really challenging when it comes to picking his lineup. And they're already doing that stuff. Some of those players play in the NWSL. Players like Mallory Pugh, players like Trinity Rodman and Ashley Sanchez and Sophia Smith. There's real talent here. How has that group done so far this season? How are they looking ahead of some pretty important national team games coming up this summer? Yeah, I mean, I think the players that you've named are are really making a case for why they belong on a roster. Um, And of course, these are attacking players whose positions have typically been filled by, you know, those veterans that when we think of the national team, you know, the people that we're thinking about, like Alex Morgan or, or Kristen Press. And so I think in order for these players to make a roster, they need to, of course, stay healthy but also keep performing at this really high level. So Vladko Andonovsky has gone and said that play in the NWSL really matters, right? And that is related to why those veterans maybe weren't getting called in um, because, you know, some hadn't played. And and so I think these players, for instance, for players like Rodman and Smith and Pugh, you know, scoring goals, assisting goals, doing things like that. And, and Sanchez, I think, I mean, I think she's been lights out so far. She was a real bright spot for the spirit, in my opinion, throughout the Challenge Cup. And, you know, I think she's operating in a midfield that really relied on Andy Sullivan last season, and she was injured throughout the Cup. So I think reintegrating Sullivan into that lineup and then, you know, having Sanchez just be this really bright light, it's only going to make her better. I think she has a really high high ceiling. So let's, I want to ask you one more bit about Ashley Sanchez. She's a player for me that often ends up in the the next beat behind players like Mallory Pugh and and even Trinity Rodman and Sophia Smith, maybe because she plays a slightly different position than those players. She's more of an attacking midfielder. She's played as a number eight for the women's national team. And that doesn't maybe get you quite as much attention as somebody in that front three. Mm-hmm. What kind of player would would you say Ashley Sanchez is when you're watching her? What kinds of things do you see from her that make her into, I think, a really brilliant player? Yeah, I mean, I think she's really great on the ball. Um, I, I mean, I noticed during the Challenge Cup final that a lot of the play that, you know, 
Robin was either playing into Hatch or things like that. Like that started with Sanchez's hard work in the midfield. And so I think taking her for me, when I think of a midfielder that, you know, maybe isn't getting their flowers like somebody who's, you know, scoring hat tricks every game um, is what does that midfield look like when they're not there? And I think that the spirit would really struggle if Ashley Sanchez was, you know, out for whatever reason. So she, you know, she's a really critical part. And that's sort of like what I was getting at with Ali Long yeah. on, on Gotham FC. You know, so I think thinking about the team without the player in the lineup is sort of what my baseline is when I think about how important a player is for the team. I think that whole thought just made Chris Ward sad. I think that's just <laughs> all we did there. So sorry about that, Chris Ward, if you're listening. We've talked about some some U.S. Women's National Team players. Let's look outside of that young up-and-coming group, maybe even outside of Americans in general, although you're welcome to toss a couple in here if you'd like to. Which other players should people be watching week to week? Dabinia, who you've written about for Backhield already and who we all watched just, again, dominate uh, for stretches on Saturday, has to be close to the top of that list. Yeah, I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. First on my list, North Carolina's Dabinia, right? Yeah. I think um, I often think about what will happen if Dabinia is no longer in the NWSL. You know, she goes somewhere else to play and I we just get, get immensely We get sad. We get sad is what happens. Yep. <laughs> so yep. I do not want to manifest that. Dabinia, if you're listening please stay in the NWSL forever. <laughs> um, you know, I think Davinia, it seems like she's always at least three touches ahead of whoever her opponent is. And and her combinations with Caroline have been lethal for the courage. So I'm really excited to continue watching her this season. Um, another player that I'm excited about is Portland's Janine Becky. So, you know, she went eight, eighth overall in the 2016 NWSL draft and she played for Houston and Sky Blue and then she was in Man City uh, since 2018. And, you know, now she's found a, a home back in Portland. But what's exciting for me is that she's played in a lot of different positions on the pitch. So for Portland, now she's lining up as a winger, but she has a history playing striker, uh, center mid and also fullback. So I'm interested to see how her role is going to evolve with Portland this summer um, as Portland really starts to find their identity under their new head coach. Um, I think that that Janine Becky will be someone that will be really fun to watch. Okay, so that's Becky and Dabinia. Are there any other under-the-radar players? Obviously, Becky has a pretty high profile, and Dabinia certainly does in NWSL circles and in international soccer as well. Any mm-hmm. any folks that are maybe a little quieter, or at least the, the discussion around those players is, is quieter that you'd like to highlight? So I think Maria Sanchez on the Houston Dash, right? I mentioned her as, as one of those individual players on that roster that are just great. So, uh, you know, Houston has, I think they had three assists during the Challenge Cup, and and she, they were all hers. So clearly they're, they're really relying on her to link up with players like Rachel Daly and Shea Groom to, to make things happen in Houston's attack. And, you know, I'm not entirely sure why she might be flying under the radar. Um, is it because she's on the dash? I mean, who knows, (laughs) but you know, I think that she's going to be a lot of fun to watch. She had a stint in the NWSL last season and, you know, she's back for more. So I think while, while she's in the league, we should totally keep our eye on her. Okay, will do. It's on my list at this point. (laughs) Uh, To round us out here, we're going to close out with this last question. We are not too far away from tomorrow as we're recording. Tomorrow we're going to have NWSL game. There'll be games Friday. There's one game Friday and a full slate over the weekend. Close us out here, Ariana. Is there one game in particular that you're most interested in watching that you would like to get the rest of us, myself and the listeners, on board with watching this weekend for whatever reason? You know, when I first saw this question, I originally was like, okay, Portland Thorns and O.L. Rain are playing at Providence Park. 
That's what I'm excited for. And I think that sort of feels a little bit like a cop-out, if I was being honest. (laughs) (laughs) Because, of course, it's the Cascadia rivalry, and it's at Providence Park. And, you know, I'm sure it's going to be a really great game. It's always a lot of fun when these two teams play one another. But we have seen that a fair amount of times this season, given that the teams were, you know, in that West region. So I think Washington Spirit and Angel City is going to be a lot of fun. Um, You know, Washington Spirit is not happy after, you know, losing the challenge cup to the courage. And then Angel City loses to Orlando after they, uh, you know, after they sell out their stadium and beat the courage in week one. So I think that game's on Sunday. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a entertaining match. Boom. Ariana approved Sunday matchup. Watch it folks. Or you're missing out. Ariana, thank you so much for coming on the show for enlightening me and, and the listeners about all things NWSL. Before I let you go, where can people find you? Maybe on, on Twitter, where can they read your work? Plug whatever you'd like. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Cascone Ariana. So just my last and first name in that order. And you know, I write for Backheeled, read all of our amazing stuff. There are some other really, uh, you know, talented individuals contributing to that site. So I'm really excited about uh, continuing on with that. Go follow Ariana on Twitter. Go read her stuff. Ariana, one more time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Listeners, thank you all for listening and we'll be back again soon.